Hello everyone, my name is Joanne Lockwood and I'm your host for the Inclusion Bites podcast. In this series I've interviewed a number of amazing people and simply had a conversation around the subject of inclusion, belonging and generally making the world a better place for everyone to thrive. If you'd like to join me in the future then please do drop me a line to joe.lockwood at cchangehappen.co.uk that's s-double-e-changehappen.co.uk You can catch up with all of the previous shows on iTunes, Spotify, and the usual places. So plug in your headphones, grab a decaf, and let's get going. Today is episode 49, with the title, Building Stepping Stones to a Better Future. And I have the absolute honour and privilege to be joined by Rachel Oliver. Rachel describes herself as a media broadcaster and presenter. And when I asked Rachel to describe her superpower, she said, it is the fact she is Australian through and through. She's dual national and proudly Aussie, first and foremost, and that is her superpower. Hello, Rachel. Welcome to the show. Hi, Joe, and thank you. That was a great welcome, and um, it's uh, brilliant to be here. And um, uh, let's just go into uh, the Australian bit. Uh, I'm a dual national, and I was born here in the UK, in the north of England. So for 20 years, I um, have a very, very broad accent. And then I went to live in Australia and I was there for about 34 years and um, uh, 34 fantastic years and working there and in the Middle East as well. We can go into that if you like at some stage. Um, but uh, since coming back here, I've been back about three, four years now. And um, my Australian accent, uh, waxes and wanes very much depending on uh, if I've spoken to home recently and uh, my kids are still out there uh, but you will hear some uh, Australianisms and uh, you'll also hear uh, some yeah, yeah. Uh, you'll hear some broad flat vowels because I'm in Rochdale and that's what we celebrate here so um, the other superpower I've got, by the way, I just want to in get into that, is, um, uh, well, I'm a transgender woman. I reckon that is, I, I reckon that trumps just about every other superpower that there is. Um, but it's not me 100%. I'm, I, I happen to be transgender. So that's why I actually don't use it as a superpower as such, because it's just the as part of me. Um, I'm multifaceted. I've got loads of facets um, and lots of experience in life. I've done oh, many, many things and I've got plans to do many more. Uh, but my big passion um, currently and has been for the last couple of years is, um, is broadcasting. Um, and that's an area I never expected to get into. Um, and um, it came as a massive, massive surprise to me that I had uh, this uh, capability, if you like, and um, uh, and it's and it's God given, I reckon. I, I, um, it's it's something that was must have been there, just needed the right circumstances to bring it out, and um, and now it's come. <laughs> my God, um, and I write my own stuff as well, so I'm. Did so, I see you on a on a TV show a year or so ago? Did I see you on telly one day? Well, I've been on the telly a couple of times, and uh, but yeah, you saw me probably strutting my stuff on um, 
first dates, Valentine's Day special last year. <laughs> that was That's me. That's the one I remember. And that was the door. That was the door that s- suddenly swung open. Um, this closed door into another world swung open and that's how I got into, um, into media, if you like. Um, um, and, um, it's just been life changing. It it gave me such a a vast understanding of myself and my capabilities and, um, that I wanted to know more. So I I did investigate deeper and I was asked to do a radio program with who I work with at the moment, which is Sonder Radio. And uh, I was asked to represent um, the LGBT Foundation here in Manchester. And uh, just on a small talk they were doing and uh, on death and dying, what a subject. I mean, come on. Um, But I've I'm a nursing background. I've got an extensive nursing background. I was a registered nurse for many, many years. So I reckon I could talk about death and dying and how it affects us as trans people, and it does. Um, And um, so I wrote loads of notes. I'm a prolific writer of notes. And um, I wake up in the middle of the night and write notes, believe it or not. I have a thing at the side of my bed now so that uh, I can do it without actually opening one eye. But... um, uh, I, I honestly, I've gone off now, but uh, let's just come back to what I was saying about how I got into it because I did this program and I had 15 minutes of fame. Uh, that's the radio program. And um, I had so many notes that I hadn't touched. So I actually contacted the radio station and said, look, if you need a transgender person to actually, you know, a bit of input, um, count me in. Um, and um, the uh, the producer contacted me and said, look, uh, yeah, we're interested, but, um, you know, write a synopsis, if you like, of what your show's going to be about, and, uh, uh, and we'll make the show. And naively, I, I said, um, well, who's going to write the show? And it just went blank at the other end of the phone for a few seconds, and then I realised, to my horror, that it was me who was going to be the script writer. <laughs> so um, I was given some pointers, uh, not very many, but I was given some, and um, I was given um, what's called a run sheet. Uh, in the trade, we use what's called a run sheet, where you put down your notes and your tracks and everything. And I produced a show, and um, I've just uh, I've just written show number 35 I think it is um and um I've got each show begets more 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 so I've got low I could probably double the amount of shows that I even now because each one suggests doing something else so and I love it it's just and not only that because we're because we're trans people I'm a trans person what it does is it allows me to express myself and basically talk about being trans in this world. And uh, I've got two parts of my program, which are pretty constant. Most programs run around about the same um, in in content. The content differs, but there's two solid bits in the program. And uh, one of them is um, I'll uh, bust a trans myth, which I love doing. I mean, I'm I'm a trans myth buster. So I'll do that. And then um, 
uh, and I'll integrate it into the program, it always falls in somewhere. And um, later on in the program, I'll do a trans ally or a trans icon, as I call them. And they can be uh, transgender, uh, transgender male, female, uh, non-binary, or even um, uh, non-trans allies. And I have, on a couple of occasions, brought in uh, a non-living thing, if you like. Uh, one of the great ones I did was I did the pill in one, uh, the 1967 um, uh, pill, if you like, because that changed the structure of society so massively overnight that I thought it deserved icon status. Um, and uh, so that I'll bring them in and I'll, uh, uh, usually the trans icons are known, certainly known to the trans world, but they might not be known to our allies. And, um, and by the way, I made trans allies an entire icon in one program. I, I, did, I took the allyship and made it the icon. Uh, because I think our our allies are our most important people. Yeah. So you, I mean, I think I think it's fantastic. You've got your own radio show, which you, you self present, you edit, and well, maybe not edit, but you you certainly you curate it. You, you find your guests and things like that. That's really fantastic. So, what's the kind of viewing figures? You know, is it is it a Rochdale sort of centred sort of station? Is it? Uh, no. Um, well, first of all, I work with my producer, who's also my sound engineer. And if you hop over and have a listen anytime, and I'm hoping that people will, um, my sound engineer is called Dom. Uh, I've got a great sense of humour and a fantastic relationship with Dom. I love him to bits. He's excellent at his job. And um, I ask him if he'll put some... I love sound effects. I'm a real fan of sound effects. And playing with sound and um i'll ask him you know to integrate into the in, i'll put little notes in my scripts if you like just can you do this can i have um can i have sirens can i have this can, can i have helicopters <laughs> i've got one with helicopters believe it. um all that kind of thing and, and he actually does it and it's very very professional now sonder is a manchester-based um radio station, if you like. Uh, we work from central Manchester, um, near to the old um, Coronation Street buildings. In fact, I think the building we're in used to be part of the Coronation Street set at one stage. Um, and uh, that's where we work and record from and do all our magic, if you like. Uh, it goes out to Manchester, but it also goes out worldwide. This is the beauty of my program. It's a podcast. Um, it goes out on the day, so you know, but on whatever, and it's not set days I work. Um, it, uh, I might, I do a lot of specials. So, for instance, uh, I've just done one uh, for Halloween, so that went out on Halloween night. Um, I've got another one coming out in a couple of weeks' time, and then I've got a special for uh, for Christmas Day, which is um, an Aussie Christmas, believe it or not. So, and the reason I'm doing Australian Christmas, if you like, is I've got a lot of Australian listeners. So they hop on to uh, Radio Garden, I think it's called, and um, they can get the podcast. 
Um, or they can listen in directly on uh, Sonder Radio on Christmas Day or on the day. So um, I've got people that uh, write to me and friends that say, you know, can I listen to your program in virtually all over the world? So I've got uh, America, uh, Australia, uh, quite a few in Europe. Yeah. <laughs> So all over the world, so you've got a, a real kind of global audience. So before we came online and I pressed the record button, we were talking about uh, this building stepping stone to a better future and how your – tell me what tell me what, what we're talking about. Tell me about your ethos on this around – I mean, I identify as trans, you identify as trans, so this is a, a trans podcast at the moment. So yeah. tell me about this stepping stones. What, what do you mean by that? Okay, so stepping stones – uh, how, how I fit into the stepping stone ethos, if you like, as a trans person is the way I look at it is our gen- with it, we are today's generation of transgender people. Um, and um, part of being trans now is that we've, we are representative of our community, if you like, now. Um, we're going to pass what we do now into the future. So for people that are not trans yet, or maybe for people that are maybe not born yet, we're going to pass what we do on this planet for our community onto them. Similarly, um, people from uh, previous generations, people like um, April Ashley and uh, Lily Elb, I mean, these are two enormous transgender icons and and one of the biggest one of course is Martha P Johnson probably the biggest one uh, uh not all of them are past yet i think april's very much alive but the others have passed they've gone but what they did is they they put down the ground rules if you like they 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 put the they leveled the, leveled it off and they identified the issues a lot of the issues that they identified, we're still fighting. We're still, in fact, we've taken a step back in the last three or four years, definitely taken a step back. Step Back um, Back to when April Ashley uh, transitioned. That's, that's how far we've gone back, I reckon, anyway. Um, and it's our job to represent and push this forward. And it hurts. It's going to hurt us. We're in pain. We're in definite pain. You said we're going backwards. I mean, in what way are we going backwards? I mean, do we ever do we ever get forwards? I mean, how far have we gone back? What, what, what's the things? That, I mean, well, I, I mean, we, I, I I talk about this often, but yeah, let's hear your perspective on on what it's like to be trans in the world today. Why have we gone backwards? Um, we were making quite uh, serious headway. Uh, we were taking two steps forward and maintaining those steps. Um, I'll just give you a bit of background. I, I, I started transition around about 50 years old, approximately. Uh, I'm 63. No, I'm 62 now. Woo! <laughs> Giving myself a year. Um, I'm 62 now. So I've been, I've been transitioning, basically, or been a, a trans woman for 12 years. And um, I've seen some enormous... I started in Australia, by the way, transitioning. And I've seen some enormous changes in how we are perceived and um 
For about four or five years ago, certainly before I came to the UK, um, uh, it was still difficult being transgender, but I could see that we were making movements forward. Um, then I moved here and um, then I realised that there were political issues going on here that maybe were going to cause us some problems. This is about four years ago now. Um, and what I've noticed is in those four years whilst I've been here, um, we definitely, definitely have taken steps back. Um, we're having to defend our rights now, whereas before there were rights that we that were just there. We didn't have to defend them. They, they were there. They were in law. Um, um, they were relatively secure. But now what I'm finding is that those laws are now being put into question and uh, we're having to defend ourselves quite uh, robustly nowadays uh, because uh, we are slipping back now if we go back um, you might um, you're relatively around about the same generation as me so if we go back to the 1960s the late 50s sorry sorry <laughs> if we go back to the 1960s uh, and the early 60s, um, uh, trans people could self-identify then. And um, they seem to have more freedom then than we than that we have now. So we have this problem now about self-identification now, uh, rightly or wrongly, it depends which side of the of the coin you're on. Um, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'll state my coin. Um, I, I believe in self-identification. Um, and yeah, but don't we self-declare, self-identify anyway? I mean, I I went to my doctor. I said, "Doctor, help me. I'm I'm yep. I'm trans. I want you to refer me to a clinic." And in the meantime, I asked him to write a letter, which I could send to the passport office. I I, I applied for my driving license. I, I did my own D poll. Got two friends to sign in a pub. Yeah, none of that involved any form of onerous process. So what, what, what's all the fuss about self-ID then? I mean, we talk about, yeah, it seems to be a major yeah. issue in society. What's, what's the big deal? I, I've self-ID'd and I'm living my life successfully. What's the yeah. challenge that people are facing? Exactly, exactly. That's exactly what, that's, that's absolutely exactly right. Um, I was amazed when I started to do the legal aspects of transitioning. And believe, uh, I do have to say, I started this in Australia, but because I'm dual national, um, I also had to do some British stuff as well. So I haven't had a British passport for a long, long time. And um, I just had a, my Australian passport. And then when I wanted to, decided I wanted to come and live here, um, I decided that I obviously needed a British passport because I had to claim my place. And uh, I thought, oh, this is going to be hard because I'm applying for a passport now in another name and another gender. And this is just going to be horrific. And I was amazed uh, from a distance. But, you know, we're talking here. I'm, I'm sat there in Perth, 12,000 miles away and um, and couldn't believe how easy it was. Uh, there were a couple of uh, blips along the way. There was one little blip about um, uh, I had to go to my GP. And by the way, I had a fantastic GP in Australia. And um, 
the wording wasn't quite what the passport office required. So being an Australian, and we are very um, upfront. Aussies are generally upfront, and they will talk. They won't take any nonsense off anybody, uh, myself included. And um, he said, "Oh, this is ridiculous." But what he did is he he read my letter and he wrote the exact words that the passport office had written, and and that's all. He just he actually professed them and said, um, well, they've got to be happy with this. And of course it went through and I got my passport. So you're right, we do self-identify. I mean, we don't wake, you know, we don't wake up one morning and say, do you know what, it's a nice sunny day today. I think I'll be a transgender woman. Uh, we don't do it. And, um, and that's a ridiculous thing. But hey, some people actually think that's what we do. So um, we actually spend we actually spend half our life trying not to be. We spend all of that time repressing it and pushing it back, doing everything we can not to transition, not to be not to be honest with ourselves. It's far far the opposite. We're not we're not rushing out and celebrating this. We're we're, we're fighting it and fighting it, and eventually yeah. we we get we can't stop ourselves. It becomes necessary, and I, I think yeah. often we're we're misrepresented by by people who have a, an agenda that I don't fully understand myself. Uh, but the frustrating thing with the, the Gender Recognition Act review that went out on in 2018, that Theresa May's government started and then got stuck in the mud under Boris and Brexit and COVID and everything else that seems to have buried it, is that it it doesn't offer any solution for people who are non-binary. I mean, as, as, a, as a binary trans woman myself, you are, yeah. uh, as trans masculine friends I have, trans men, we can largely change our passport, drive and license and continue in the world. We can, after a bit of fuss, we can, we can mostly access hormones and treatment. If we, yeah, it's not easy sometimes, but it's quite onerous. But there is nothing currently that someone who identifies non-binary can do under the law. They can't have a, a, a gender-neutral passport. They can't have gender-neutral driving license. They can't have uh, government official documents that aren't binary male or female. And that, that's the frustration. So I think that's the key issue around the gender recognition reform is the protection for non-binary. The, the other stuff, yes, it's important. Yes, we need it. Yes, we need that protection. But it's, there's a whole sector of society, that the non-binary individuals, who aren't included at all or protected at all. And that, that's the frustration. And we, I think we saw there was, it was Rose Taylor versus Jaguar Land Rover where they, they, they've, under their yeah. employment tribunal, they verified the fact that people who are identified as non-binary are covered by the protected characteristics of, 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 of uh, trans, uh, gender transition or the intention of transitioning, whatever the wording is of the Equality Act. So yeah. non-binary people do have protection under the law now, but yeah. they can't do a fundamental human right of having a passport in their own ID. And that's the frustration, I think, with, the, with what's going on at the moment. I can, I can live with a bit of, bit of inconvenience. You know, if I die, they're going to bury me with my birth name. Yeah? And, and if I've got a a really not helpful vicar or, 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 or celebrant, they're going to call out my, 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 my birth name or my dead name at my funeral, which is going to upset everybody. Or if I wanted to get married again, which which I don't, I'd have to get married in my birth assigned gender. So to me, that's the only difference it makes. You know, I'm not worried about my pension at the moment. You know, I think pensions are going to be complicated for everybody. So yes, it's important for me to have that 
birth certificate, but it doesn't give me a key to the toilet. It doesn't give me a, a, a right to do anything else other than die, get married and be legally recognised. So I, I can largely live without that. It's the non-binary people that I'm, I'm concerned about. I think that's been picked up very much in, uh, you know, in, uh, as you know, that recently they asked for submissions, if you like. And I think some for the changes in the act. And um, I, I think a lot of people, trans people wrote in and said, um, you know, it, there were various ways that people responded, and some of them were, you know, went all the way, the whole hog, if you like, of, um, well, we want X, Y, and Z, and we want this all changing, and uh, um, self identification will give us that. Um, but what they didn't realize, what people a lot don't realize, is that we have, we can do various things, as you've just pointed out. We can access certain things. Um, yes, there are end-of-life considerations, and uh, which are quite serious. But if you're willing to live with them, then you can. And you're not going to be the one who's dealing with it anyway. Somebody else is going to be dealing with that. So I can understand what you're saying there. Um, and um, uh, I, what I'm amazed by is I have a friend. Uh, I have two transgender people here in, in my village. And we're very good friends, all three of us. And uh, one of them has got a certificate and two of us haven't. And uh, there is no difference in the lifestyle between the one who has and the two who haven't. And um, I reckon that's pretty significant. It's just literally a piece of paper that you stick on the wall. She has a certificate. And um, he sticked it on the wall, and so what? Big deal. And I think that's been picked up in this um, inquiry. Yeah. So, so, so what you're saying then is you haven't suddenly turned into crazy people who are threats to society or destroying family values or all the other things we're accused of. You're just no. three people getting on with life, trying to be happy, not causing anybody any convenience, and probably constructive and valuable members of society that's that's all we that's all we want to be isn't it really that's it and i think people i don't know what people think about I, actually i don't think people think at all um my the way i live my life is i'm not transgender above everything with a big sign over my head and everything else is subservient to that being transgender is just another part Oh, it's just another part of my life. I mean, I, as I described myself earlier on, I'm very um, multifaceted, but many facets and, um, and, and, and what I do. I mean, I'm, I'm a military dealer, for God's sake. Um, I've been a gold prospector. I've, I've done it. Honestly, it's unbelievable when I look back at my life, but none of these were... You couldn't put trans at the beginning. Oh, she's a trans military dealer or she's, um, she's a trans gold prospector. Uh, that would be ridiculous. So a it's just digger. a part you're of a my trans life. Gold digger. <laughs> you're a trans gold digger. Do, I think what it does do, uh, Joel, is um, I think it gives us another viewpoint which frightens people because – we can look, and you'll be able, I'm sure you'll agree with this. We can look at a situation 
uh, from entirely two aspects of life. We can look at the male aspect and the female aspect. And I reckon that's a saleable commodity. It's absolutely saleable because they're getting a, a, a 360 degree viewpoint on an issue instead of a one-sided issue, you know, 180 degrees view, and then having to bring another person in to have a look who's the opposite gender and say, what do you reckon to earn? Because they always say when they, when they do surveys, don't they, men and women, they've got it here in one package. And um, I, I make a joke of this. I, um, I have in the past made a joke of it when I've been in employment and said, you do, and I did it in my last job when I applied for it and got it, got the job. And I did say at the interview, well, laughingly, but seriously, you do realise that you're going to have to pay me uh, two uh, salaries. And um, the person interviewing me looked absolutely aghast, serious, because they were going through the idea in their head, oh, my God, this person's asking for another salary. And I played along with it a little bit and said, you do realise that you're getting two people for the one job, so you have to pay me twice. And I played about with it for a bit of while. And then and then we had a bit of we had a laugh about it. And but I did. I did mean it in a, a in a funny kind of way to, to explain to them that exactly what they're getting. They're getting a, an, an all rounder. And we, we are. The all we are the true all rounders, you know. And if you go back in history, Joe, you, I'm, I'm sure you'll know this. Uh, um, and this is about stepping forward, by the way. This is come back to what we were saying about stepping forward. So, if we look back at generations that have come before us, and we go back quite a way back, say back two hundred years, maybe, uh, and we go to places like North America and. Um, and the Indians, the Red Indians. I always want to say Red Indians, but if you said that, I'm sure they'd be appalled if you said that. But no, I always like, Native, think Ameri childhood. Native Americans. Native, yeah, Native Americans. Native Americans is probably. Or <laughs> Red Indians. First Nation. Some people prefer First Nation, uh, yeah. Indigenous population. There's, there's, yeah, there's, there's better terms, but yeah, I know what you mean. There's better yes. terms. And as you say, the back from where I'm from, the um, we have the Indigenous. Um, Aborigines, if you like. I don't like the word the Aborigines. And funnily enough, I don't use that word and I don't like it, but they are called the indigenous population. But if we just go back and look at North American indigenous population and we look at Australian indigenous population, way back in history, they had a third gender. Um, the islanders um, in the Pacific have a third gender. They actually have a name for it. The, the Indians in the subcontinent of India have a third gender. And these people are highly respected. This third generation is actually, it's, it's almost godlike. It's celebrated and they're given, a, or were, I think they still are in some instances, given a special place in society um, because their societies recognized that these people do have something about them that's different, maybe a different way, a different sight. Um, we could call them woke, I suppose, which is a horrible word that they're using now, and they're trying mm. to destroy that word. But I do think we have another eye. We have a third eye. I reckon we, as, as trans people, we have a different viewpoint on society, 
and um, and that's part of this stepping. What we're stepping forward that mm. we need to we need to nurture this, and we need to hold it in in absolute respect, and pass it forward into the next generation because they're going to take it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. I mean, I, I I lived a lot of my life socialized and brought up as a as a as a as a male as a as a person who and I, I networked, I hung out with mainly men, male only groups, male only clubs, and I didn't. Yes, it's like privilege. You don't realize the privilege you have when you when you breathe it in all the time. It's not until you you lose that privilege, you you, you come out of the, the that yeah. that echo chamber into a different echo chamber, or you come out of that environment, you yeah. suddenly realize what it feels like to be from an oppressed or marginalized or or stigmatized community. And suddenly yeah. the, this hits you in the face, like yeah. like opening the, 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 the door of a freezer or something. It just blows into your face. You go, wow, wow. I, as a, In my previous life, I never had any idea. It wasn't that I was – well, I, I wasn't asleep to, the, to injustice. I, but obviously I wasn't fully woke. I wasn't awoken to what was going yeah. on. And as a, as, a, as a white male at the time, I didn't even grasp the need or the awareness I was just doing my thing. And now I think having transitioned, having shared and jettisoned a large proportion of my privilege, but not only jettisoned some privilege, but taken on the baggage of, a, of, a, of an oppressed minority group that is under attack. Yeah. I, I now look around the world and I see it completely differently. And I think when you talk about some of these other cultures, <clears throat> we, you know, in our past, as a nation and Europe and other, other other, we exported Christianity religion with colonialism, and we imprinted these these values around the binary, around what was definition of right or wrong, and we set back other cultures that evolved independently and yeah. independently evolved into having multiple genders, and then oppressed that concept, not only in those countries but also in our own country. And we're still fighting that. That those the biblical. I'm mean, using a Christian analogy. I'm not, I'm not trying to be Christian here. There are other religions, obviously, but using those the, the biblical definitions of right and wrong, family values, good and bad, and and policing people into these boxes about how they can can't behave or identify, because yeah. people are now feeling that it's disrupting their whole sense of of of, 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 of the world. It's like shock horror. Sorry, you know, we made this shit up. Yeah. several thousand years ago we, we, we kept talking about this stuff we made up more shit and then we, we've suppressed and oppressed the masses with it and now yeah. the masses are going hang on a minute this is all bs why do we have to live by this made up stuff around the binary gender the binary roles we we, we can escape that program and i think that's yeah. what's challenging people when they realize that they don't have to follow this doctrinated bs that we've we've propagated over the yeah. last centuries and actually yeah. we can go hang on a minute we can be ourselves here yeah it's true and um i had a, a call a, i think you could describe it as a bit of an, an epiphany if you like um certainly uh when i um was deciding to transition but actually i can trace that epiphany moment years before because um, I actually, I've got two kids and um, 
I uh, I didn't give birth to my kids. Let's get that straight. I didn't. They've got a mom, and I'm not mom. Uh, I'm still dad. And uh, but um, my partner at the time, we were both nurses. We were, we were both senior nurses, and one of us had to pack work in, and um, and look after. Um, well, certainly the first child, and uh, then two years later, the second one. And um, so one of us had to decide to abandon the career, if you like, at the time, or temporarily, or even permanently. And um, that fell to me. Uh, There are reasons for that. I was actually involved in another industry as well. I was a book, I was a book, um, bookseller. Um, And um, I had that interest and that was the formation of a business. But um, I actually walked away from a very uh, a very good career as a technical uh, uh, theatre nurse um, operating theatres, and I started as and as I became what I described myself at the time as a Mister Mom. Um, I used to laugh about it because I'd, I'd go and pick the kids up from or the kid or both of them actually in later years, I'd go and pick them up from school and junior school and, and primary school and. Um, I'd be the only male in the pay, in the in the playground at three o'clock in the afternoon picking my kids up, and um, it was great. I had a bit of a flock around me. I loved it, and uh, people used. I did actually hear that term, Mister Mom, and um, I used to, I used to love it, um, and I felt so comfortable in that role. And it was an epiphany moment. I realised that. There were aspects of my masculinity then that weren't masculine. And um, uh, and essentially, I started to look at life from that moment on. I started to look at life differently and which, of course, went uh, much deeper and much deeper and much deeper way into my 40s. And I got to the end of my 40s and I realized that I'd been fighting um my gender issues for 50 years and it couldn't go any any further i could not i could not happily live life any longer um being a fake because i actually felt that i was faking being by this time i was thinking i'm faking being a man it's ridiculous i don't feel like a man and then i look back at my and i'm sure you've done it I look back at my life before transition and it was like stepping stones all the way through to where I was now of of um, the signs that I, 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 you know, I'd got a female mind, a female brain in a male body and something had to change. It had it just had to alter. And uh, and I'd done, you know, the usual things that uh, a lot of trans uh, women do uh, when you look back on their life. They've been in the military um or they've um, done very masculine <laughs> some of the things i've done have been so masculine it's just unbelievable but that's because i was i was proving myself i was proving my testosterone and hey look you know in basically that's what i was doing showing my muscles and doing that and um it's all a lie because as soon as as, as i the soon as i went on hormones i realized it was like a big l- weight coming off And I realized that, wow, this is it. This is what I should feel like. And 
how liberating it felt to take that yolk, that, that masculine yolk off and throw it in the corner and say, that's it, not having you anymore. And I'm, that liberation has stayed with me ever since. I could never imagine going back to that. It would be, it would be uh, unbelievably cruel to return to that. And I don't think, I don't think people who are anti-trans realise the depths of, of our transition, how, how deep it is and and how permanent it is um, for, what, 99% of us. It's permanent. Uh, we're not going to turn around. We don't want to walk back through that door. It was locked. You know, I'd have it sealed up and bricked up behind me. I'm quite happy to do that. That's how that's how firm I am about my my progress, if you like, and, uh, and where I am now in society. So um, I think we've got a lot to offer society, and I think it's time that um, people like the mainstream media, I'm very grateful for the media. Sorry. No, no, don't, don't apologise. <laughs> as, as you were talking, I was thinking, uh, do you remember that? I think it was a Disney Pixar film called Inside Out, and it's there's these, like, these characters in someone's head and they, they put, they've got these sort of balls and they put them into shoots for the memories. And one of the characters is kind of like this, this grumpy red blokey character. And he keeps driving the head and keeps taking over and pushing everybody out of the way. And, and at the end, they, they kind of, they gag the male character and then the women start driving the, the, the personality. And that's how I felt. I had this, this grumpy, blokey character in my head, silencing all my female voices, all the things that are going on, taking over all the time, talking for me, putting words into my mouth that my brain didn't want to use, doing things that I didn't want to be. And yeah. finally, as you say, this, the transition, the, 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 I, I always think about, you know, people talk about male and female brains. I, it's, for me, it's around that testosterone and lack of testosterone, estrogen, lack of estrogen. So going from a brain that is has testosterone driving emotions and thoughts versus a brain that's driven by estrogen is a completely different way of looking at life. And so yeah. by, by stopping the testosterone feed and pushing in the estrogen, I was able to silence that, 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 that entity in my head that didn't really have a place. And now I, d I don't know how you feel, but I have, I have. When I'm quiet, I'm quiet. I have peace in my head. When I have one voice, I have one me. I don't have this conflict, this argument, this, this is dealing with the aftermath of situations that I got myself into and went. Why am I doing this? It's, it's someone's remote control in my body. I don't like this. This is not where I want to be. And then trying to deal with it. But now, I feel completely in control of who I am. Silence yeah. when it's quiet. I, there's no conflict in my head. There's nothing going on, and it's just this one voice, one me. That's that's the difference I've noticed. And I can't even remember what it's like now because it's been what five or six years. I've almost forgotten about how noisy and and distracting and conflicting it was. I'm I'm just just relaxed yeah. and calm, and it's that's that's for me the significant part. Yeah, allowing me to be me not yeah. driven by somebody else. I think that's, that's a significant difference I've noticed. Yeah, I, I, I can concur with that. And um, I actually call oestrogen Mistress Oestrogen. <laughs> um, I laughingly call her that because um, I see oestrogen in very much in a female form. And um, 
uh, and I, I, I've said a number of times how grateful I am to Mr. Sisterjohn for taking care of me. But um, it does change the way you think about yourself and your family, but it also changes how you think about the world. And, um, um, uh, you know, just going back to what you said before, uh, pre-transition, I hadn't had any zero uh, interest or uh, experience of the LGBT world. It was like I used to read about it uh, and hear about it on the news, radio, te television and in the newspapers when <laughs> before I abandoned reading newspapers. And um, there it was. It was the LGBT, the great LGBT in capital letters. And I never got involved in it. And literally the moment I took, started to take hormones, I was thrown into this world um surrounded by these big letters and had to find my place in that world and where i fitted but i certainly did belong in it because society told me you now belong into that world and that's where you are and um i found my place now in that world i know exactly where i am um but i had to literally i mean literally go online at the time and start looking up words, starting to understand what the LGBT system and world is all about and what it constitutes and whereabouts I am on it. So I had to do a literally a crash course in, um, uh, in diversity. And um, that taught me so much about how little, as you said from before, how, how I'd ignored this, if you like, for nearly 50 years. And um, and got away with it. I, basically, I'd got away with it, not not bothering. And um, all of a sudden, because it affects my life and how I live it and how society views me, I had to be crashed into it and to understand how it works and where we fit in it. So um, and uh, of course, now I'm a big advocate for not only the trans part, the big T, but I'm also a big advocate for every other, every other aspect, every single one of them, because we're all on this diversity, um, you know, merry-go-round, if you like. We're, we're all on it together and um, we're all fighting the same battle uh, in different ways, but we're all, we're all fighting the same issues. And I think we that's why it's important that we stay together and look after each other and uh, and support each other. You know, so I'm very happy to stand for uh, lesbian um, women and, uh, you know, gay men and bisexual people and non-binary people. I think non-binary people especially get a really bad do. Um, and uh, um, as you said before, that about. You know, there's, uh, there's no uh, legal definition on passports. Actually, there is. Uh, there are a couple of countries around the world. One of them is Australia, by the way, um, where you can have an X on your passport. And the US. Now, certain states in the US now, I think Malta and Denmark, I Malta. Think Germany now have a third gender as well. So there are a few in the yeah. world, yeah. There are a few and they're growing. And I think uh, Ireland, of all places, I think they've... Yes. Era. 
um, they've got it. And um, rightly or wrongly, having an X. Now, let me just tell you about an X, uh, which is one of the one of the worries because I worked in the Middle East for four years, and um, I worked in Saudi and Abu Dhabi and around that region back in the eighties. I wasn't transgender. I wasn't gay. I wasn't a gay man, by the way. Um, I, uh, I I I lived out there. You know, as a hetero male, no problem whatsoever. But I understand what it's like to live in that society. It's tough. It's tough if you're not. It's a tough society if you're not um, heterosexual and um, uh, and you're not Arab. <laughs> it's a tough society to live in. And um, uh, one of the big worries I have about an ex on a passport, and this has got to be dealt with at some stage in the future, but one of the big worries of an ex is it's it's an identification of somebody's um, gender status or actually non-gender status, if you like. And we're going to have to educate at some stage. This might not be our, this might not be our um, generation that, that can do this. It might be the next generation that are going to be dealing with this. And I suspect that it is. They're going to have to educate people places like um, Abu Dhabi and um, Saudi Arabia and Qatar and all those uh, westernized um, but uh, Arab countries um, who are firmly against being gay or lesbian or transgender for that matter and uh, who would uh, who would take a passport with an X on it and actually draw that person out uh, on the basis that that's that's identified them as something different. Now, I've traveled to Qatar as a trans woman. I've traveled through Qatar, and I, it was one of the most frightening experiences I've ever had because I, all the time, even though I traveled on a female passport and present entirely as female, it worried me that whilst I was on the territory, that I could, there might be some way they can identify, and then I'm going to get hoiked out and uh, one of the places I would and I'd love to go back because I lived there and I loved it was Abu Dhabi in Dubai I lived there for a few years and I absolutely loved it and I want to go back certainly to Dubai because it's grown in a, into a city a massive city now a beautiful city and um, I'm desperate to go on a, a weekend or you know longer and spend some time there but it's impossible to do can't do it um, I've had to sort of, uh, you know, come to the fact that it's not something I'm, it's not on my bucket list anymore. It's had to be crossed off, which is a sad, it's very sad because, you know, I do have memories there and I, I do have um, places there that mean a lot to me or certainly two places there. And, uh, and, um, and Saudi Arabia is the same, although um, Saudi Arabia is still very much a closed country and uh, I can't see it opening up not in my lifetime, probably not in the next generation's lifetime either. But uh, I think we do have to be concerned about a marker, um, you know. And, yeah, I, I agree that it, it, it signposts more, um, yeah. certainly in countries where LGBTQ plus acceptance isn't isn't yeah, the same as everywhere else in the world. And it, I mean, I'm very conscious as, as a trans woman as well. You know, I, I flew to Melbourne last 2019 i think it was 
And yeah. it's where do you go? Do you go via China? Do you go via uh, Emirates, to fly Emirates via Dubai? And yeah. I decide I had to decide that Hong Kong I felt was my least worst option as being a, a kind of a more, less likely to, for me to have a problem as a trans woman flying. Um, I didn't want to yeah. fly Emirates. I didn't want to go through Dubai. Yeah. People have told me I, sh- I would probably be okay, wouldn't be an issue. But yeah. I, I, I didn't want to take that chance. And I've had yeah. off, off, offers for speaking in, in, in Russia. And yeah. I, again, I, was, I didn't get it in the end, but I, I, I was in two minds whether I accepted it. And, and I actually went to, ta- uh, to Kiev in Ukraine. Yeah. And I was a bit nervous about going there. But as it turned out, Kiev was very, very cosmopolitan. Yeah. No one noticed me. I think because some, certain countries aren't hyper-focused on trans people, that they don't even see you. And it's maybe, maybe we're more noticeable in countries like the US and the UK and other where, where trans people are more open. Yeah. But yeah, I, I had I had no no trouble in Kiev, in Tallinn, and other countries around the world. But yeah, I'm still a bit nervous. I was nervous when I went to Tel Aviv because yeah. you, you hear all these stories about the Israeli Secret Service and all that kind of thing. But yeah. I had no trouble going into the country. I had no trouble being at the Wailing Wall on the right hand side, having previously twenty years earlier been on the left hand side, uh, wearing my shawl and my and my skirt and everything without. Yeah. a everyone batting and I did and when I exited the country I know people often get very interrogated leaving out of Tel Aviv but the security kind of looked at me asked me a couple of questions and just waved me on maybe I was too difficult I don't know but uh, so yeah. my, my experience so far has been positive in the countries I've traveled to but I'm yeah. also very conscious about the fact that a lot of the world is now inaccessible to me because I was born in Singapore yeah I've been back there once 20 odd years ago but I know yeah. that I, I probably wouldn't want to go back to Singapore again. I certainly couldn't go back to Malaysia, where I lived yeah. with my with my family when I was just after I was born. So yeah. I'm very conscious that I can't put my transiness away. But I, I know there are, there are some people who identify maybe as gay or lesbian that have. I was going to say they have the op, op, they can pack their gayness away in a, in, in their trunk, yeah. do yeah. their job, and come home. Um, yeah. They may not be able to share their their hotel room with their partner, they may not be able to do other things. They may not be able to talk about their home relationship. They've got to be careful about their social media postings, but they can sometimes function if they want to, because you're not as necessarily visible. But as trans people, we, we, we carry ourselves wherever we go. We we are, we are us. And we're worried about getting caught, getting arrested, getting imprisoned, getting, Oh, there's other things that can happen to us. Uh, lynched in, in, in a toilet in America or something. It's yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly right. And um, uh, I have travelled, uh, during transition, I have travelled. I travelled extensively uh, back and forth between here and um, Australia and Perth and Sydney and here two or three times during my initial transition period. And I did go through um, Singapore with some trepidation, although um, if it boiled down to it now, and it will do um, because I have children in Perth, um, I would happily travel through Singapore, happily. I came back through Singapore when I came back to live here and I'd do it again with no problem whatsoever. I felt 
very, and I stayed over in Singapore as well. I felt very comfortable. I didn't see, feel threatened, although I have read things online. But the world is, you know, it's it's shrunken down now. Like as you say, it's shrunken down to to very narrow corridors. If I want to go, and I do consider Australia, by the way, as home. I live here in the UK, but I don't recognise the UK as my home. My home is Australia, and um, I always think I, I'm always thinking about the corridors to get back. So one of the corridors is, of course, as you've identified, is Hong Hong Kong, um, and another one is Singapore. And I wouldn't go through Qatar. But the other one that worries me intensely um, is the um, is the way from um, across to America and um, America and um, across the states and then Hawaii and then on to Singapore. There are especially the southern states of America definitely definitely are to be avoided, I think. And I don't think that a lot of cis people, I identified this in one of my radio programs actually earlier this year. Um, I did a spoof program about travel to UK, sorry, travel to Europe, and um, where I pretended I was traveling to Europe and uh, it was a big laugh. We had a great ball doing this one. I pretended that we were going to Europe and uh, I visited each country. But what I, why I did it that way was I wanted to get across to trans um, people who were interested in the trans experience, who, who might not understand us too well, or even our allies. I wanted to get across to them that the world was narrow and how tight it was, and that we even in our own uh, European area we had to be there were places that were not viable to go to for us or not safe and so I did go to Poland and um, I just identified a couple of issues then going on in Poland which had got worse by the way and then I hopped over down into Europe and Germany and um, and presented the program as though I was traveling through and it was brilliant I loved it we had a ball making it was a big laugh and um and uh, and then we came back to ERA or Ireland, and that allowed me to express just how forward thinking Ireland has become, um, and how in in you know what it's only what 100 miles away from the I don't know how far, but 100 miles maybe, and the difference in thinking between one country and another that speaks the same language and essentially we're essentially the same people, and. Um, and it was just a great illustration of of uh, how the world has shrunken down for us and how frightening that is for people like like us who and especially you because i know i have seen you you on facebook and what you do on facebook and how you travel and i did see that you went to um kiev um and um uh how lovely to go there. I'd love to go to Kiev. Um, but how you travelled there, and I thought, oh, my God, that's a bit risky. But then I thought, well, hey, is it? Is it risky? Um, let's see. And obviously, it's been okay for you. Um, but, um, I mean, holidays, I wouldn't, there's certain places I wouldn't holiday in. Um, outside of the UK, I would think twice about going to certain places in Europe. Um, although Malta, I believe Malta's brilliant. 
Um, plus, I love motor anyway. So um, our world is pretty narrow. I've, I've had no problems in what the traditional Western Europe. So yeah. Italy, Germany, Spain, Portugal, Balearics, Canary Islands, Amsterdam to Netherlands. I've had no problems in those at all. I've travelled extensively before to Sweden, Finland, and I I wouldn't perceive I would have a problem in those countries if I went back there now. So, yeah, yeah, I I think it's just the further east you go, you've just got to be more cautious. And I think the mantra I would have is is don't carry your flag with you. So if you can can go there as a trans person, you can go there as a gay person, but it's around not, you know, I think, as they would describe it, not promoting the gay agenda or the trans, whatever that, whatever that gay agenda might be, but yeah. it's, it's it's not propagating conversations around being trans. Or being, so if you just want to go there and be you, have a holiday, I suspect yeah. many places you'll you will actually have no problem. If you started waving a flag around and started promoting uh, trans rights in in Poland, you'd probably get get short shrift. But if you just went there as a trans woman, you'd probably have a reasonable time. If you were in Maybe the core towns like Gdansk or Warsaw or one of the major one of the major places. If you were there on a package or in a in a, in a, in a corporate hotel, you probably again have a reasonably seamless experience. So I think I think the panic really is where you maybe stray off of the path into activism, into promotion, or into public signs of affection. Maybe if you, if you were same-sex couple holding hands, then you were going to have issues. You know, if my wife and I kept two foot apart and were just friends, again, I, I suspect we'd be fine in most of these countries. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's it's just recognising we have to double-think about how we're safe. And we, we do, But the thing is, we, we I don't know about you, but every time I go to a toilet at a motorway service station, you walk into this. It's like a chicane, isn't it? You walk in, you go right, you go left, you go... And you've got no idea what's behind. And often it's well, it's often a queue of fifty women waiting for the waiting for the cubicles. Uh, but you kind of you're suddenly in this zone where you feel very vulnerable, looking around over your shoulder, going, "I feel very uncomfortable here. I feel feel very people's eyes are on me, and I feel so uncomfortable. I, I can't wait to pee and get out again." Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know if you felt the same, but the, the, those are really high anxiety places where you just you just feel kind of under threat, even though. Whether it's perceived or real, I don't know, but I, I yeah. often, I often struggle with those, those sort of environments. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't get it acutely, but I get um, what we call imposter syndrome. Um, mm-hmm. I've had it a couple of times, um, and um, you know, I've felt a couple of times. I've, I've never felt threatened anywhere, but I have felt I want to get in and I want to get out fast. Mm-hmm. Um, only a couple of times. Um, I've got one memorable one where, um, uh, and it was in a nightclub. It's about two years ago. It was uh, in Manchester actually, and uh, there was a big queue of women, and uh, and I got stuck in this queue, and it was just the best. It was, you know, we it ended up because we were all waiting to do the thing, and uh, you know, the conversation was just. <laughs> just surreal conversation not about me being trans because nobody knew but um you know it was um it was actually more about my age because all everybody else around me was like in their 20s and there i am this old woman 
and I was getting propelled forward by some women like you go next you go are you all right are you all right are you okay and I you know I thought well I am actually but yeah and um what I want <laughs> I did know that funny story I did notice that some of them were going in in pairs and that's what women do some women going you know some women go into the toilet in pairs friends do and um I was dreading it. I thought, oh, my God, I hope nobody comes with me. Because <laughs> I just don't know what to do in that situation. But it just did, it did make me laugh at the time. But, um, um, but yeah, well, I've, I've had that. I, I, I like you. I, I like you. I'm quite an ample lady. So the thought of <laughs> getting two people in a toilet cube before I'm in there is sort of like, we won't fit. Trust me, we're not going to fit. Hang well, back, please. I think you're right there. I think that's why I was safe because there's only me. Uh, there's definitely only me able to get in some of some of these cubicles. I mean, I think we should stand up for women's rights here and say, "Look, you need to make." When you look at a man's cubicle and you look at a female cubicle, they're not the same. The dimensions are not. Male cubicles are built for men, big men with big muscles. Ladies' cubicles are made for petite women you know, to do their thing and hang their handbag on the back of the door. And that's all they're fit for. And I think, so we need to stand up for, maybe we can do that and say, look, let's have some a changing dimensions, please, you know. <laughs> Bigger toilets, please. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Do you imagine they're, they're, what... <laughs> they're not... By the time you put your handbag, your coat, your scarf, and all the other things you take in there with you, and then yeah. the hook's not there, and you've got to try and balance everything, and then the door, the lock on the door doesn't work. And it's like... Oh, is just, oh, ah. <laughs> I've had that too. Where you have to stick your foot in, you have to stick your foot out uh, because you know that door is going to come bashing onto your foot any second yeah. now. And because um, people will have a tendency, as you know, to push first and then and then wait for an answer. And um, you know, I somebody actually put that online a couple of days ago. What do you do? It wasn't wasn't a trans person it was a female what do you do when you're in a cubicle and, and the lock doesn't work how do you alert people do you sing or whatever and and i wrote to them and i said you just say when it's put stick your leg out and when it's pushed you just say it's taken and they'll soon go um and um yeah hopefully i, I just shout some... oi 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 <laughs> <laughs> hopefully i've given some friendly advice there to a, another lady who uh who has to negotiate the uh, the toilet system in this country? <laughs> oh dear, Rachel, Rachel, it's been it's it's been an absolute blast. I, mean, I can't believe we've been nattering away now for over an hour. Over an hour, we've been nattering away. Oh wow, um, it's been absolutely superb. Thank you so much for your insights and your your straight talking Aussie mixed <laughs> with northern straightness. I think it's been fantastic. Thank you so much, and uh, thank you. How can people get in contact with you if they want to get in contact? Um, well, you can LinkedIn listen. or Facebook or just or just Google you. Uh, I am on Facebook. I'm openly on Facebook as Rachel Oliver. Um, you'll see my happy smiling face um, when I um, when I did first dates last year, and also I did uh, Steph's pack lunch as well. A um, couple of episodes of that, and um, and I recently did a course in. Um, TV presenting. So I'm hoping to pick some work up actually on because I do voiceover work for my station uh, and have done a couple of specials for them. So I'm hoping to pick stuff up that way. But you can get me on Facebook easily. You'll easily find me. Um, Fantastic. And 
If you want to listen to my show, you, you can go on um, www.sonderradio.com um, and you can, it's very easy to find. And there's, once you're on there, they'll tell you where to go. Or if you want to listen to my past performances, my podcasts, and there's about 23, 24 of them at the moment um, on Mixcloud. And it's free to listen to on Mixcloud. Just type in Rachel Oliver and you'll get all my shows. And uh, So just to clarify, Sonder Radio, that's S-O-N-D-E-R radio.com. Yeah. S-O-N-D-E-R-R-A-D-I-O.com. And they can listen to your show there, yeah? Uh, they, yeah, they can listen to all the output of Sonder Radio, including mine. There's a little section for Rachel Oliver. Um, and uh, podcasts, um, the day after it, my show is released on radio, on Sonder, it goes automatically uploaded onto Mixcloud podcasts. And it's there in perpetuity. So you can go and listen to, oh, honestly, the subjects I've covered are, I just did a conspiracy show um, last week, actually. It was quite an interesting thing. And uh, there's lots of humour. Um, and yep. um, I'm on there now. I'm on there now. I've, I found Sonda Radio and I found, there's a menu option called Our Presenters. I found you on there and I'm now looking at your bio, the, the gorgeous photo of you with a, a Shaw SM7B microphone stuck in front of your, your face and all your episodes are listed there so i can see that absolutely fantastic so people can certainly tune in and, and find out more that's fun. that's awesome yeah Thank you. Uh, it's very entertaining i'm sure you'll there's uh, oh by the way i have a no repeat policy which is very important to me so you can actually listen to 22 hours of me prattling on like a two bob watch um but you'll never hear the same music twice <laughs> ah, excellent excellent that's unlike unlike my playlist playlist i have the same artists on repeat often so i do like uh, my earworms uh to, to, oh. to ring out so thank you anyway so thank you so much it's been yeah. a joy and a pleasure to have this conversation with you and uh and also a huge thank you to the listeners who are who've listened this far thank you for tuning in Please do subscribe to keep updated on future episodes of the Inclusion Bites podcast. That's B-I-T-E-S. Tell your friends, tell your colleagues. Please share. I have a number of other exciting guests lined up that I'm sure you'll be also inspired by over the next few weeks and months. And also remember, if you'd like to be a guest, then please let me know. And I would always welcome feedback and suggestions on how I can improve the show to joe.lockwood at cchangehappen.co.uk. So finally... My name is Joanne Lockwood. It's been an absolute pleasure to host this podcast for you today. Catch you next time. Bye.